This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel. They're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. All right, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me. I am really excited for this week's episode because some of the content I think is just really, really interesting and intriguing. We have one of retail's biggest influencers on to discuss JCPenney's pull away from appliance sales. And it's really interesting to me just to see uh, that fresh off of NRF, some of the nation's biggest retailers are still making changes to inventory uh, rather than bringing in new technology. And maybe that's a sign that uh, some of the biggest issues with the industry are deeper than tech transforming it. So we're going to get into that conversation. That's going to be with our host, Shelby Skirhawk, talking to Bob Phipps, the retail doctor, examining JCPenney's departure from appliance and furniture sales, their identity crisis, and what it really means for their remaining stores and other large-scale retailers. For our second feature today, we're going to take a look at two fashion trends within retail, designer shoes and designer bags. Where are we seeing big designer brands putting their money, the bags or the shoes, and why? And how are smaller boutique stores responding to that trend? And do they even meddle in that kind of stuff, or do they often lead the way with these trends? So our own Elmer Gordado is going to take a look at that as well. So without further ado and rambling from me, let's get to that interview with Shelby Skirhawk and Bob Phipps, the retail doctor, with that examination of JCPenney coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. This week, JCPenney announced that it's ditching appliance sales. They're also making furniture available only on its e-commerce site and at select Puerto Rico stores. The retailer resumed selling home appliances in 2016 for the first time since 1983. Then-CEO Marvin Ellison saw an opportunity to capture appliance sales from struggling Sears stores. But the experiment didn't work. Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor, says this shift away from appliance sales is just one more chapter in JCPenney's drama-filled history. I sat down with a retail sales trainer, author, and keynote speaker to discuss. Bob, thanks for joining me. So if you weren't paying close attention to uh, JCPenney company news, I don't think most people knew that the, the Plano-based retailer was selling appliances. So my, my question is that, is that part of the problem here that shoppers are really no longer paying attention to JCPenney? I would go further. I would say the, the problem is JCPenney no longer knows who their customer is. I mean, um, you know, they were doing fine until 2007, the crisis hits, <clears throat> excuse me, they have a um, activist investor, uh, Ackerman comes in, he puts, installs other people on the board, he, quote, wants to unlock value, he brings in Ron Johnson, who had worked with Target, and who had been part of the Apple stores, and uh, basically gave him carte blanche to remake the brand. And Ron Johnson and his hubris and his um, self-confidence uh, <laughs> said that uh, we're going to eliminate all coupons, which was a big thing that the penny shopper liked. We're going to discontinue a lot of the apparel brands that you've come to 
grow and love and we're going to put a coffee house in or we're going to put in yoga mats we're basically going to make it a, a store within a store and i'm going to bring in all these cool and hip brands and look out jc penny is going to be great and 17 months later he was gone because customers fled in droves he had attracted some other brands but very low margins the apparel companies that were discontinued were actually the reason people shopped at jc penny and suddenly the board again panics and they bring back the guy who was there before so he says oh we'll still do some of this but so the stores got started for something and then didn't meanwhile the associates are kind of your you obviously know nothing johnson doesn't move to plano texas neither does most of the crew they shed uh, corporate people who had years of abilities and they realize that they need to upgrade their accounting and their data services and uh, website and they do a rebranding and then they then that doesn't work so ron johnson's out they bring back olman who had been there he pretty much says we'll do you know some of this but uh we're going to try to bring the discounts instead of the everyday low prices back and but then they get caught in different price tags People could see that, you know, there were things that were marked down that are now marked up, and now they can use coupons, but not. And so he leaves, and they bring in Ellison. Ellison comes from Home Depot world. And Ellison decides in the bold move about, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, we're going to bring in appliances, except he came from Home Depot. That's what he knew. So it's like, oh, we'll bring in appliances. The problem with that is that people don't buy appliances at once every roughly 10 years. And they had thought that they would be able to bring in some better salespeople that could sell it, but they didn't really commit to it. And they kind of shoehorned these departments in and as as well as expanded their furniture lines. And then Ellison dramatically leaves, like with two weeks notice last May, and no one knows what's going on. They're going to have four people running the company. And finally, they bring in Jill Satu, who uh, comes from a, a makeover of Joanne Fabrics. And now she said, oh, we're going to close three stores. We're going to stop doing appliances, you know, because we're not making money at it. So to go back to your original question about the customer, I don't think anyone knows what the JCPenney customer is or wants. And the worst part is that the Ron Johnson legacy was you so infuriated your customers, they went and found Target. They went and found Kohl's and wooing them back with all of the drama of something you'd get on a reality show just isn't working and jill has yet to come up with a vision that is pure and simple enough that everyone can say that's my store right well so uh, ellison's hunch that if sears is on the ropes people had shopped at sears for their appliances for the longest time and so well he thought well i guess it makes sense that they'll come over to pennies why was sears successful in selling appliances if Sears and JCPenney are similar demographics of audiences and shoppers? Well, not quite. I mean, Sears was always the hard goods uh, yeah. company. They were always the tools. They were the equipment. They were the appliances. That's what they were known for. And uh, it was a guy's store, pretty much. And then in the 80s, they said, oh, it's going to be the softer side of Sears. We'll go into apparel. JCPenney was always the apparel store. It always was the apparel store. In fact, they had Halston back in the 80s. And some other ways, they are the ones, J.C. Penney, I credit, uh, if you look at the CNN documentary on American style, they bought that classic American sportswear that uh, American designers crafted in the 
50s and 60s to the masses, and J.C. Penney was it. Whether she was a career girl, whether she was a stay-at-home mom, whether she, whatever her profession was, that was their store. And I just want to insert one more thing here that, um, you know, the whole appliances thing is such an interesting uh, story because when Circuit City gets their new CEO, he says, I don't want to be in the appliance business. What else do you sell? (laughs) We're getting out of the appliance business. Well, they did, except that was 30% of their sales. So that was the fatal blow that that brand got from one guy without considered opinion you know, this cowboy that says, I don't want to do this, that fundamentally changes the way the customer looks at the brand. So uh, I don't know why the appliances are are the kicking boy, but to go back to Sears, Sears um, was a boomer brand. You know, they represented America. They were the ones they started out. For gosh sakes, this story is old that uh, Robux is a train engineer and he has this guy who has these leftover watches and he's uh, on the train and he can sell them as he sells them to people as he goes down the line. And that's how he starts to get this idea that, wow, there's a need for, for these things. And he comes up with a catalog and uh, ultimately they build the stores and then the private label brands, Craftsman, which both in the tools and the appliances resonated. And they also had an incredible sales training program that they would have a promotional washer and they used to call it the golden spike and that had a golden spike through it. If you sold that promotional washer, you were probably going to be fired because they used that to be able to show you all the other things their better machines did. Hmm. And they were a powerhouse up until the 80s and 90s and they have been uh, able to trade on that baby boomer trust and recognition and durability for a long time. But the fatal thing with Penny's deciding that they can do appliances, Lampert already sold off the Craftsman name. You could already get Craftsman appliances and washers and dryers through Amazon and through an awful lot of other places. So you didn't just have to go to Sears. So um, again, you know, at the time, most people, it was a head scratcher, but it was a way to try to get investors excited, like we've turned the corner and we have the new recipe. And the reality was it was all half-baked. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you mentioned the fact that when appliance shoppers were coming into the stores, I mean, at, at Sears, there were trained sales associates that had a lot of product information. But nowadays, I mean, the consumer is the one that's armed with more product knowledge than ever. And they already know what they want. And they, they are pretty much just ready to buy it. With this, with this new type of consumer, then, how does that parlay into JCPenney's ability to be a definitive source of information, of expertise, of knowledge, if these consumers are so knowledgeable about everything else that they're coming in to shop for? You know, that's, uh, you know, everybody will tell you it's all about product knowledge, but I'm here to tell you that's not it. The the end of the day, there's always somebody who has a similar product. That's nothing new. Always has been. Mm-hmm. Yes, in the old days, the only way you could find out information was to go into a, into a store, and the store would tell you all you needed to know, and that's the only place you could find it. And yes, that is gone. Most people are researching online before they go in. However, just because you read it on the internet doesn't make it true. And so mm-hmm. when you walk into a store, the what, what is valued and what my clients uh, come to me for, which is uh, sales training, is there's three parts to a sale. You have to engage a stranger, you have to discover the shopper and make a customer. This idea that you're going to just have someone walk in and say, I want the, I don't know, uh, Whirlpool model 856213A, and then you say, oh, it's right here, and that's 
that's gone, no one buys like that. I mean, if that person wants that, mm-hmm. they're going to buy that on the internet. When someone walks in, true, a, a, a salesperson has got to be able to engage another human being. You know, millennials were hearing it's all about being authentic, authentic, and that means you're going to have to have some skills. And if you're used to texting all your life, you're going to have to be trained on how to engage. You have to like someone before they like you, and then. If they come in for that model and you don't have it, for example, you might you have to be able to have that conversation of, would you be interested in something as good or better? Uh, sure. And now you can open up whatever you have and compare and contrast. But the idea that the salesperson has to be knowledgeable in all the features and benefits, that's not it. Um, ultimately, and also going back to Penny's, it's appliances are not something I, I'm going in for a bathrobe and I'm like, hey, I could use a new washer. They just doesn't work that way. It's a considered purchase no matter what. Whereas apparel is much more of, hey, I'm in the mall. That's a cute top. Let's go see what else they have. The experience that a salesperson can provide, providing the experience is something that's also important for shoppers. From your expertise in in creating great salespeople, what do you think JCPenney can do to make it a destination uh, where people want to shop and, and engage with the sales associates there? They have to know who their girl is and isn't. I would say the the place that I would take pennies is to understand you're probably a rural brand. Own that you're probably in the number two, three, and four malls in the nation. Find a way to resonate with them in a local way and be respectful of those women of different backgrounds that are coming in and be able to enunciate exactly what the value prop is for them. That's not easy, but it's also not a focus group. And you know, what Penny's was, was this great destination of all these stores that could bring everything to the masses. And I think they're going to have to become more of a niche. I think that's what we've seen with uh, the other retailers that seem to be doing well, taking a page from boutiques, you know, like the Ted Bakers, the Lululemons, the container stores that, you know, narrowly define who their customer is and isn't. And then, you know, instead of getting these little middling announcements oh we're closing you know three stores oh uh, stopping appliances i think they're losing their third cmo in four years uh, this week so the bad news has kind of got to stop but but fundamentally there has to be some kind of a vision that people are willing to say hey i want to go check that out and um, and ultimately i think that's where they're lacking i i think even in ron Johnson's world, it was a lot of tactics. It wasn't a, a saying you understood who you, I mean, who your young woman or young man is. And frankly, you know, the Penny's customer was my aunt and my grandma, but when, um, you know, they're dying. And, and if you don't get the young people back, I think you're, uh, you're in a t- tough way. The different course corrections that have, have happened at JCPenney, I mean, each CEO has seemingly had a very radically different strategy. So for, for any retailer, not just pennies, though, I mean, what's the danger for employees? We've talked about the danger for customers, but can you imagine the, the, the rank and file there at pennies that is just basically just kind of jerking back and forth with each, each direction of the wheel? How do you, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, that's a great question because I think the Wall Street Journal did an article that there's half as many employees at JCPenney as there were 10 years ago. And JCPenney was always known as the customer service store. I mean, I remember when I was in college and I had to get window fashions and this woman um, took me almost by the hand and said, here's how you do it, here's how you measure it. 
And I, I went back to the house and I measured and I came back and got them and I went into the manager and I said, you know, you just need to know, and this is before I was the retail doctor, I said, you just need to know this woman is amazing. And he said, oh yeah, Jill, she's been with us for 40 years and wow. she is amazing. She's gotten the number one award a number of times across the nation. Well, we didn't respect those people at all. You're trash, you're old. The sad thing is that probably most of those people are gone. And if you're in a JCPenney or a Sears or a company that's failing, you're awaiting the executioner's uh, call. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so how thrilled can you be to go to work? You know, you're just hoping to God they don't ax your position and close your store. A friend of mine was uh, working at a, another competitor of theirs and uh, they were uh, this last holiday season, uh, I guess in January, the manager came in and said, and we missed goal and it was your fault. And you guys need to try better. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's like a prescription for how not to do uh, the job, you know. And and so the challenge for any of us, you know, everybody's got divided interests. You've got a sick mom or dad living at home, which you didn't expect. You've got a kid in rehab or you've a million things. And there's a lot of pressures out there in the world. And the one place that has to feel like I have our act together, I've got your back, has got to be where you go to work. And if Jill Sadalaw can fix that and can make that vision something that people can run after, I think that's great. If it's just going to end up being tactic after tactic, then it becomes death by a thousand cuts. And ultimately, um, the associates are whose day you have to make first. You make their day, they can make the customer's day. I'm located in Plano, and, and there are many people that are the casualties of JCPenney's many cuts, that executioner acts just waiting to come down, the phone call, what they're sitting at their cubicle, seeing everybody else going into a conference room. Yeah. I mean, that has happened so many times, and we know so many people that have been the victim of a JCPenney mass layoff. So it's, it's scary stuff. Yes. Great information, great discussion. Thank you so much for your time, Bob. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Shelby. For Market Scale Retail, I'm Shelby Skirhawk. Thank you to Shelby Skirhawk, our correspondent there, and thank you to Bob Phipps, the retail doctor, for that examination of JCPenney on this week's show. For our second feature, we're taking a look at those two fashion trends within the retail industry, like I mentioned earlier, designer shoes and designer bags. And so we're going to take a look at how smaller boutique stores are responding to the trend and whether or not they actually meddle in that sort of thing. And it's going to be our own Elmore Gordado taking a look at this trend and how the industry is responding to it. So that is coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this Market Scale feature. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Today we're going to dive deep into a story coming straight from Daphne Howland from Retail Drive. The story is titled, Saks Flagship Triples Handbag Selling Space. Okay, so first let's start with some context. The change is a part of Saks Fifth Avenue's major revamp and remodeling going on right now. Some other changes happening during the revamp include... The retailer employing 20 multilingual Saks service advisors who won't sell anything, but instead guide customers through the store. And in handbags, they hired 50 style advisors with multi-brand product knowledge rather than hiring personnel to be responsible for a particular brand. The luxury department store also opened its new Parisian-style in-store restaurant La Avenue at Saks, according to a company press release. However... Back to the most important change, on February 5th, Saks Fifth Avenue said that it had tripled the space dedicated to handbag sales 
on its renovated main floor with more than 50 brands that include 14 that are completely new to the store. These big changes come as a surprise to many, not only because the space and brand are so recognizable, but also because the store is filling so much of its space with handbags. Industry analysts like UBS and the NPD Group have reported the decline of handbag sales over the years as interest in high-end shoes and clothes continue to be on the rise. So, right, this is a little interesting and a, and a little odd. It seems like Saks, you know, one of the biggest brands in the game, is going against what market specialists are predicting. UBS specifically noted that 27% of all bags in December were discounted compared to 16% in the previous four months. Retail Drive also reports that according to the NPD Group, footwear is now the most powerful category in the online luxury market. Nearly half of online luxury fashion dollar sales stem from this category, and it has the highest average annual spend per user and purchase frequency, with customers spending as much as 794 on a pair of shoes on average. Which is kind of surprising to me, right, because I'm not in that space necessarily. But you know what, now that I think about it, I do see it all over social media and through just marketing, right? It seems like there is a big push collectively from people re-embracing sneaker culture and, and getting into it, right? Chief Industry Advisor for MPD, Marshall Cohen, said in a statement that it's not just about the statement bag anymore. Now, thanks to expanded accessibility, the statement shoe is also an area of focus and investment for customers, which, you know, might help explain the shift away from trends that once favored handbags. Similarly, in a recent interview, even Vogue Editor-in-Chief and Condé Nast Creative Director Anna Wintour commented on the fact that women are favoring comfort more than ever when it comes to fashion, which, again, might help explain this shift in trends. Here she is saying it herself. Women everywhere are asking for comfort, very understandably. I, I remember years ago it used to be that women would wear sneakers on the subway or walking to work and then immediately would get into the office and go into their bags and bring out their high heels and that obviously is no longer the case there's sneakers everywhere everything on the runway is grounded today it's grounded by a cowboy boot or a flat sandal so yeah everyone and everything seems to be pointing towards footwear and other items taking over the once unchallenged handbag, right? However, Saks hopes to combat these switches and trends with exclusivity and personalization. Quote, We worked closely with our partners to create over 100 exclusive products specifically for our customers, said Saks chief merchant Tracy Morgalis in a statement. Quote, The size and scale of the new main floor enables us to showcase the best handbag and accessory designers in the world, demonstrating Saks Fifth Avenue's strong fashion point of view. We are confident that the overall presentation, including high design shop-in shops combined with personalization and customization services, will truly surprise and delight our customers, end quote. The space features top brands including Alexander McQueen, Balenciaga, Bottega Veneta, Celine, Chloe, Gucci, Lori Piana, Louis Vuitton, Nancy Gonzalez, Prada, St. Laurent, Stella McCartney, The Row, Valentino, and more. So basically, we have one of the biggest designer stores in the world, right, opening up more space for designer handbags at its flagship store, but market trends are pointing to shoes overtaking handbags as the designer items customers want to splurge on the most. So is Saks ahead of the game? Is Saks invulnerable to market trends, or is this a big mistake, right? Only time will tell. Keep it locked right here for more updates on everything going on in the retail world, and don't forget to visit marketscale.com slash industries for more content. I've been your host, Elmer Guardado. Hope you have a good day.
Thank you to Market Scale correspondent Elmer Guardado for that look at the two fashion trends in the industry, designer shoes and designer bags. That, unfortunately, is all we have time for in this week's episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. Thank you all so much for joining me for this episode of the show. As always, we have plenty of podcasts just like this one, if this is your first one that you've listened to, over at marketscale.com. If you click on the Industries page and scroll down to Retail, you can find more podcasts just like this one. You can also find written content videos, find all of our NRF coverage there. So we have a ton of stuff just like this on the website. Just head over to marketscale.com and find the Retail Industry page in there is where you'll find all of that content housed. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.